All right, uh, we're in part three of a sermon series called Emerge, and we're going through the book of Luke. And the reason we're calling this Emerge is because we're going through chapter three and chapter four, and that's the part in the Bible, in the, in the book of Luke, where Jesus emerges. He kind of comes into the public eye. And so we're just looking at that part. Today we're in chapter four. Uh, and today, the, the, the theme of today is, I, I want to talk about God's expectations for us. And you know, we all have expectations for, for ourselves. We all have expectations for one another. Whether if you say that you don't, chances are you really do deep down inside. So, for example, um, I'll, I'll tell you an embarrassing story about expectations when I was in high school. And, by the way, if you're in high school, I don't think anybody here is from, okay, good. If you're in high school, well, there's somebody that's in junior high. But if you're in high school, um, you think you're doing the right things. And you think you're being really cool, but looking back at it after like a few decades, you're like, that was so embarrassing. Like maybe the way you dress, the, maybe the things you said, the things that you thought were cool is no longer cool. You know, and so here's one of my stories, uh, expectations. So at the time, I was dating somebody. It was my first girlfriend. And um, I wanted to not just be a good boyfriend. I wanted to be a great boyfriend. And the way you do that, of course, is by listening to other people. You know, like they say, like girls, they talk between the lines. You need to know what they're really saying, not just what they're saying superficially, but what's underneath it. Um, and so you would listen intently, and you're like, I think she said this, but I think she really meant something else. Or maybe she's telling me to do something. When a girl says, that's nice, that means it'd be nice if you did that for me. right? I don't know if I'm wrong. I still haven't figured out the code. I haven't cracked it yet. <laughs> But, um, you know, so we'll watch a movie together because that's what good boyfriends do. You pay for her and everything, right? Um, <clears throat> you're watching a movie and you're watching a romantic comedy, which you would never watch if it was just up to you and your buddies. But because her, you watch it, right? And you watch it and, you know, you look over and she's kind of tearing up and you're like, okay, she likes that. Okay, that's good. No, you know, write it down. Or if she says, like, you know that scene when this and this happened? It's like, oh, that was so good. And I'm like, so is she saying that she wants me to do that? You know, right? So I was trying to figure this stuff out. And one of the things I noticed was, like, okay, girls like romance. Like, okay, so, so there was a scene in a movie. I can't remember what movie it was. I can't remember the plot. But I just know that there was a scene where there's a couple watching the sunrise. I'm like, okay, I got to do that because I want to be a great Being a good boyfriend is just being a good boyfriend. Being a great boyfriend, okay, is somebody where if the girls are off talking amongst their friends, that they'll compare boyfriends. And at the end of it, they'll come out saying, man, cuts, like, her boyfriend is like the best. I wish my boyfriend, like that's what, that's the guy I wanted to be. Okay. So I wanted to surpass expectations. Now I'm not sure if she put those expectations on me. Okay. But, but I assume that she did. So I wanted to exceed those expectations. So what I knew was that it's like, it's romantic to sing a girl a song. You already see like the fail that's going to happen in the story. Right. And I knew that seeing the sunrise together was romantic. So I did my research. Okay, so I did my research. And, and so, by the way, the way the expectations work is like this. Okay, so there's me at the top. Next screen. Okay. And this is machine. I like to call it the machine. So, so you enter yourself, you input yourself into the machine, and you do your work, and you come out on the other end as a better version of you, a better me. So, for example, in this story, there's me, boyfriend. I'm going to put myself into like a little training or, you know, a little machine. Okay, so like I'm going to do my research. I'm going to pay attention to her. I'm going to do all these things. And on the output side, I'm a better boyfriend. Or no, no, I'm, I'm the best boyfriend, not just for her, but that anybody else has heard of, right? That's, that's how the machine works. So this is how the story goes. Um, so I call her up and I say, hey, tomorrow I'm going to pick you up at 4 o'clock because I'm going to take you somewhere. And I didn't tell her what it was. 
So I put her in the car, you know, pick her up. She's like so tired. And by the way, I'm not a morning person. I get cranky. So I was cranky when I picked her up. Already a fail, okay? So I picked her up, and I'm like, oh, gosh, I can't believe I'm doing this for her, you know, just for expectation's sake, right? Put her in the car. I drove her, and I'm like, I realized at that point, sun doesn't rise on the west coast. It rises in the east. So I'm like, I need to go to a mountain somewhere. Where's the closest mountain in L.A.? I don't know. So I went to Kennethon Park, which is not a safe place to go in the morning. And so I drove out there, went to the, to the mountain. By the way, I found out later on that's where they filmed some of the Power Ranger episodes where people are fighting. And so I went up there, and then we parked the car. And the first thing I noticed is the whole place is white because there's a thick fog there. So much that if you put your hand out as far as you can, you can't see the palm of your hand. That's how thick the fog was. So I said, hey, let's get out of the car. Let's go. It's still dark outside. And as the sun started to rise, I realized I can't see anything. As a matter of fact, I don't know where she is anymore. So I'm calling out to her. I was like, where are you? Where are you? She's like, over here. I'm like, okay. I probably walked away. You know that moment where you turn around and walk towards where you came from? And a few steps in, you realize you actually were going the wrong direction. So you're even more lost. So I'm there. And the sun is rising. I'm like, I need to sing my song. But she could hear me. She can't see me because she could hear me. So I start singing. Now... Let me tell you what this machine looks like, okay? I think every day leading from the day that I realized I should do this to the day that I actually did this, I need to practice my singing, right? I had to memorize lyrics first, but you know. And back in those days, I don't know what kind of music is in now, but back in the days in the 90s, R&B was the deal, right? And if you thought about R&B, you thought about like the guy who wrote all the awesome songs that hit the top of the charts, which is like Babyface. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to sing a Babyface song. I don't, you guys probably don't know who that is. <laughs> That was the jam in my day. No, no, no. No, no. There are people listening to this online, so I'm not going to do that. <laughs> this is, yeah. Anyways, um, so I'm like in the middle of this, this place where I can't see anything, okay? And, and I start singing. And I start singing. And first I start singing loud because I need to make sure she hears me. Then about like three or four seconds into my song, I realize, what if there's somebody else in this park? <laughs> Like, what if some weird dude came up to me and said, hey, nice singing, right? That's kind of weird. So all of a sudden, you know that, moment, that, that kind of singing where you can't really commit to it, so it sounds even weird? So you're like, oh. And then I hear her saying, like, where are you? So I'm like, okay, so I'm going to keep singing, and I'm going to walk towards her. And I think she started getting creeped out because she's like, I heard this creepy singing coming near and closer and closer. And so, so this is what happened. Okay, so I had this expectation that I thought she put on me. And I was trying to be a better version of that expectation. But what really happened was this. The better me didn't come out on the other end of this machine. It didn't happen, right? And, and I'm not going to tell you any more of that story because after that we went to breakfast and it was just a disaster even from there. So, okay. But what I'm trying to say here is this, okay, because that's kind of like a strange story and it, it's really happened. Um, but we tend to do this all the time. Like, whether if it's like studying, you're like, man, I need to study for my test. I need to get better grades. This is me up here, and I'm going to, the machine is going to be called cramming and studying. And, and you're hoping that you'll get that higher grade, and then it turns out you didn't do any better than if you didn't study. Or, or maybe it's working out. You have this New Year's resolution. You're like, I'm going to lose weight. I'm going to lose 10 pounds. And you go to the gym, and two weeks later, you step on the scale, and you realize, I actually gained weight. And you're like, oh my goodness, this is not working for me. But these are expectations you put on yourself, right? What about expectations that other people have put on you? Not in a bad way, okay? Like maybe your family's expecting you to be more involved in your family this, this year, 2018. And so you do your best. 
to be home more often. But you don't see any improvements in your family. And you're like, I put myself in this machine that I created called staying home more often, playing with the kids, you know, staying with my wife or staying with my husband. And then the results are not exactly what I expected. And when you realize that other people have expectations on you, and maybe we don't call expectations, maybe we call them dreams. They have a dream for you that you would be this kind of person, that kind of person, this kind of father, this kind of son, this kind of daughter, this kind of friend. And you try really hard. You put yourself through training and challenges and stuff like that just so that you could measure up to the expectation. And you don't come out on the other end as somebody that you thought you would be. It's a downer. You feel, you feel like you let somebody down. But here, here's the thing. What about the expectations that God has on you? What about God? I mean, if my friend or my wife or my whatever, you know, has an expectation for me, I know I probably, like, I could probably see that's exactly what, God, what, what, my, what my family wants me to be. But the expectations that God has for us must be a lot higher. And therefore, there's a higher chance of us failing, right? So have you ever felt this? Like, have you ever felt like you felt failed God? And, 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 and if, I, if I have failed God, what am I supposed to do about it? Do I just say sorry and try hard again? You know, like you're like, I've been, this, I've been through this Christian thing for a long time. I've been going to church for I don't know how many years, right? And I know God's been molding me and shaping me, but I expected myself to be at a higher place by now. Gosh, God must be so disappointed in my progress. Well, what do you do about that? What are the expectations that God has for your life? Maybe there's that one thing that you keep messing up on, that one sin. Like, I'm so sick and tired of messing up in the same place. That, that, that stumbling block, I, I keep tripping over it every single time. Every time I said, I'm never going to do that again, I end up doing it again. And you look to the heavens and you're like, God, I, you must be so sick and tired of me praying and asking for forgiveness. Have you been there before? No? Okay, I have. Okay, and so this sermon is for me, not you. And I'm just, this is time of confession, I guess. <laughs> well, okay, let me tell you what brings me some comfort. The Bible is riddled with people who have that experience, where they feel like God has an expectation for me and I keep failing it. And the best example that I'm going to share with you today, and we'll get to the book of Luke later in the sermon, but before we get there, we have to talk about some stories in the Old Testament because that's going to help us understand the book of Luke, okay? So today we're going to start off by looking at the book, book of Exodus. We're going to look at a group of people called the Israelites. These are the people who used to be slaves in Egypt. They prayed for God's help, and then Moses showed up. And Moses said, let my people go. And after a few no's, he finally pulled them out. And I want to show you how this took place. So look at this is the map. The left side with that blue line, that's the Nile River. The left side is Egypt. And God said, I'm going to pull you guys out. And we're going to go to the promised land, this place that I have for you. And here's my plan for you. This is the best plan that I've ever had, God would say. He would say, and not only am I going to rescue slaves and make you free people, I'm also going to use you, right? You're going to partner with me and making the world better. You're going to bring heaven on earth. You are going to go and you're going to restore relationships, not just with each other, but with God. You're like, you're going to, you have this amazing call in your lives. Are you guys ready? And they're like, yeah. It's like, okay, let's huddle. One, two, three. God's plan. Let's go. And so they're about to go. Now, this is a little map I drew. Next slide. Okay, so this is the route that they took. Now, there's, we don't know exactly which route they took, but some people did some archaeological digs, and they think this is the route they took. Now, one of the first stops they made was right there, okay? And up until then, God has done some amazing stuff. Like, they were, like, thirsty, and they were, like, we want some, 
some waters, and then God takes them to this place with these springs. And they're like, oh, God is so good. We just expected a little bit of water, but God took us to a paradise. This is amazing, you know. And um, like, oh, there's enemies behind us. What should we do? And God's like, watch the Red Sea split. Like, oh, this is amazing, right? And so over and over again, God surpasses their expectations. Over and over and over again, okay? And now God is saying, now that, that, that I got these people to trust me, I'm going to put them through this machine. I'm going to put them through this machine because they're entering into this machine one way. And by the time they're done with this journey, they're going to be ready to be the people that I want them to be so that they could go and change the world. Okay, so God has an expectation for them. I expect them to be a certain way by the time I'm done with them. Okay, so that's, that's what's going on here. The first stop here, God says, here's challenge number one. Now, this first challenge, uh, I, I, these are my words, okay? I like to call the hunger challenge. The hunger challenge. So God brings them to a place, and he says, I want you to set camp here. And they look around, they're like, where's the food? Where's the food? Uh, where's the food? And, and, and God's like, okay, now I want, like, I want you to watch yourselves, because you're about to, I'm about to reveal something about yourselves that you probably didn't know. It's like, okay, well, okay, so where's the challenge? So what God does is basically brings them to a place with no food, and they're looking around, and they start to bicker. This is how the verse goes. This is Exodus chapter 16. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Now notice what they say. They say we want to go back home to the place where we're enslaved. At the first sign of discomfort, the first sign they were like, oh, look at this. Because up until now, it was smooth sailing. God took care of everything. He pushed everything aside so that everybody could just go on the smooth path. And all of a sudden, this is the first sign of discomfort. And the first thing they say is, we want to go back home. I don't, I don't care if we were slaves. We want to go back home because at least we had food there. So did they pass the first challenge? No. This is what happened. The hunger challenge. They te- temporary, temporary discomforts made them forget their ultimate goal. There's a goal over there, the promised land. We're going to go change the world. And everybody's like, yes, we're so on board with that. But what do they do instead? They're like, we don't care about that ultimate goal anymore. Our, our current appetite is telling us that we need to go back. These temporary setbacks are the things that just changes their minds just like that. Their hearts are like 100% and now 0%. They want to go back home. And so this is a teaching moment. So God's like, okay, guys, listen. I will give you bread, and I'm going to give it to you miraculously. So he, gets, he sends this thing called manna, which in the Hebrew, manna means what is it, because they don't know what it was. But that's what it is. This is what is it. And so they, they take, eat it, and they're like, this is great. This is like bread from heaven. What is it? That's what we're going to call it, right? So they get the food, and they're like, look, I want you to learn lesson number one. God's going to provide every single time. You could trust me. I'm faithful to you. I'm putting these obstacles in the way so that you know that I will always come through for you. It's like, okay, got it. I'll remember that lesson, God. Totally got it. Okay. So next, next slide, they go on with their journey, and they go to about there, okay? And then God's like, I have a challenge number two for you. Ready? Okay, here's challenge number two. I like to call this challenge the trust challenge. Basically, what this, is, this, this is what the trust challenge is. God is saying, I've already proven my loyalty to you. You have seen me pull you through the Red Sea. You have seen me free you from slavery. You have seen me give you water. You have seen me give you food. And now, it's going to sound redundant, okay, but 
He's basically saying, now I'm going to take you to a place without water again, just like what you experienced a few days ago. Okay, so there's, you know, okay, so he's in this spot now. And they're looking around. They don't see any springs anymore. They don't see rain coming. They're like, oh, no, we're going we're, we're gonna to be thirsty. What, what are we going to do? Okay, so God's like, this is challenge number two. Now go. And so God's watching. What do they do? This is what they do. It's almost predictable what they're going to do. So they quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. Moses replied, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? Now, this is interesting. We can't figure this out just by reading the text, the, the quote, give us water to drink. But Moses gives us, a, gives us, the readers, a hint as to the tone in which they said it. What Moses is saying here is this. He's saying the way they said it is basically saying, God, I want you to give me proof. Do some miracle. Do some kind of magic trick to prove that you are actually still here with us. Right? Basically saying, like God's like, I've shown to you, if you look to your past, you know that I've been faithful every step of the way. I am never going to leave you. You should know that by now. But again, the first sign of trouble, they look at God and say, we want proof that you're still with us. So, Test number two, challenge number two, did they, did they pass? No, this is what the trust challenge, despite God's perfect record, because he's had a pretty good record up until now, they demanded proof of his love. It's like, we want proof. Okay, this is an analogy that would be like this. Let's just say every morning, I'm not a morning person, I wake up early in the morning and I make breakfast for my wife, which I don't, but that's because I'm not a morning person, right? But I do it for 10 years, which we haven't been married for 10 years, but let's just say, okay? 10 years, every morning I wake up and this is, my, this is the way I show love to her, okay? And 10 years later, she looks at me and says, Katz, I need some kind of proof that you love me. Can you do something else? Like, that'd be so offensive to me, right? It's like, look, what, have you not seen the last 10 years? My, my track record for you has been perfect. Like, how, how could you not? Ah, that's what's happening here. God is saying, don't you know that I've been faithful to you every step of the way? Not only did I meet your expectations, I exceeded them. You wanted me to give you an escape route? I split the Red Sea for you. Come on. Who does that, right? <laughs> Because when I read Split the Red Sea, you know, like, you don't do that, right? Or when they're, like, when they're like, we need food. Where's the food, right? They were expecting God to bring an animal in and, like, okay, let's kill it. and Let's hunt, let's hunt it down. Let's kill it and let's cook. Or they were thinking, like, oh, we'll plant some seeds. But then you have to wait a long time for the plants to grow. No, he's like, he's like no, I'm going to miraculously bring food from the heaven for you that tastes like bread. Who does that? Every time you had a need, I didn't just meet it. I exceeded your expectation. And you still need proof that I'm on your side? that I'm still here for you? Like, come on, that's so offensive. So challenge number two, the trust challenge, they failed completely. So they pick up their bags and they go to the next destination, which the next destination you're probably familiar with, that place right there is called Mount Sinai. This is the place where they camped on the ground and then Moses is like, I'm gonna go talk to God up that mountain. And so he packs his bag, Moses packs his bags, he goes up the mountain, God gives him the Ten Commandments and I think God purposely takes his time doing this because this is the third challenge. Because the, everybody is down there by themselves. Their leader is up on the mountain, and he's been gone for a few days. So the people down there start to get worried. Oh, my gosh, where's our leader? Where's our leader? And God's like, okay, this is challenge number three. Are you guys ready for challenge number three? I like to call this, here's the prize challenge. Here's the prize challenge. Okay, this is, what God's trying to, figure, um, trying to prove to everybody is this at this point. He's basically saying, if I were to say, Here's the prize that you were walking towards your entire life, right? Would you compromise the person who is leading you there in the first place? Meaning, if I had a relationship with somebody and I was trying to take this person to the prize, would you betray me for the sake of getting that prize sooner? 
Okay, so this is the challenge that God is putting them through. So take a look at this. When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, Come, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. So this is what they're saying. Moses has been gone for a long time. We don't know what happened to him. So this is what we're going to do. We're going to create another God, and we're going to have that God take us to the promised land. They're basically saying, we're going to do everything it takes, including compromise the one that brought us up to this point. If it means we can make it to the goal, then that's what's most important to us. So the here's the prize challenge. Did they succeed? No. Why? Well, they were blind to the true prize that was leading them all along. What they're saying is, what, what, what God wants them to learn at this point is, the destination is not the actual prize. The destination is just the destination. The actual prize is the one that was actually leading them in the first place. That was with them along the whole time. So God's like, test one, fail. Test two, fail. Test three, fail. Fail, fail, fail. Oh my goodness, this machine is not working. I put you in one side. I wanted you to come out the other end as this group of people who could represent me well and bless the world and make the world a better place. But it didn't work. So God said, you know what? I think we're going to have to keep you in this mission a little longer. So as you can see in the next slide, this, this trail that they took, it took him 40 years to get from this point to the actual point, which is all the way up there, to present-day Israel. God took him, gave him 40 years to learn this lesson. At one point, God's like, yeah, this generation is not going to get it. Um, maybe your kids, maybe when, when they grow up, maybe they'll get it. And actually, that was true. <laughs> the book of Joshua is about the next generation who actually got it, right? Now, before they entered into that promised land, Moses had some kind of a graduation ceremony. It was like, you guys, 40 years have passed. I think you're ready to go into the promised land. I think you're ready to fulfill God's expectation for your lives. I think you're ready. Are you guys ready? It's like, yeah. It's like, well, here, I have, a, I have a graduation speech for you. And so Moses starts giving this speech. And I like to call this the final speech. And that's the entire book of Deuteronomy. He looks back at this long journey they just, they, they just took. And he said, now let me give you a synopsis of what just happened. So if you're looking for the longest sermon in the Bible... This one right here, Book of Deuteronomy. And so what he does is he recaps all the things that the people have learned. And in that book of Deuteronomy, what you discover is that he also has the answer key to all the challenges that God put them through. Okay, like for example, for the hunger challenge, he says, you know that challenge was about permanent versus appetite. Like your appetite will make you think this is the most important thing in, in, in your world right now. And it will derail you from the actual goal they have in your life. So he says, he, so in the book of Deuteronomy, it says, it says like, do not, you know, people do not live on bread alone, but by the very word of God. Like he says things like that to remind people, what's most important is keeping your eye on the true prize. If you live your life according to the appetites, then you're going to be going left and right, left and right. Today, I feel like being with this person. Tomorrow, I feel like being with that person. Today, I feel like I want to be this in my life. Tomorrow, I feel like I want to be like that. You know, it's so like, I want to be a teacher. No, I want to be an astronaut. No, I want to be an engineer. No, I want to be a superstar, right? Like, don't let appetites dictate your life. Keep your eye on the true prize. That's what he's saying here. So, so he's like, let me give you an answer key to every challenge I've been, I put you through in the last 40 years. Hunger problem, like the hunger, the hunger challenge. Permanent versus appetite. That's what that challenge is about. He says, the, the, um, the, the trust challenge, right? He says, 
the trust challenge is to, uh, the whole point of that challenge was to, to teach you that God doesn't have to prove himself to you because he already has in the past. Don't put the Lord God to the test because that's offensive. Don't do that, right? Uh, the third one is, like, here's, the prize, here's the prize challenge, right? He said, the true prize is actually the one that's taking you to the destination, not the destination itself. So he goes through all the answers in the book of Deuteronomy, and then they enter into Israel, the promised land. And so for the first generation, they got it. They're doing the right thing, right? But then eventually, they start to forget the answers. They, forget to, they start forgetting the, the, the point of these lessons, and they start making fail after fail after fail after fail after fail after fail for about 1,400 years. So in other words, the Israelites were put into this machine called the desert, the four years in the desert, and they didn't really come out as God's dream team. It didn't work out. I mean, God had an expectation for these people, and they didn't meet it. And so you know what did they do? They kept on trying and trying and trying. At some points they said, you know what, I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to do it my way. Maybe if we do it my way and not God's way, maybe we can meet those expectations. But no, they failed, they failed, they failed, they failed. And now we're going to jump to the book of Luke. This happens about 1,400 years after the Exodus story. 12 to 1,400 years later, right? Jesus shows up, and then he does this really interesting thing. He, say, he basically says, I know the stories of the past of my ancestors, right? And what I'm going to do is, well, I'm going to show you. This is Luke chapter 4, verses 1 through 2. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, listen carefully, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit, into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. Now, the people who are reading this for the first time are reading the scriptures, and they're like, wait a minute. He was led by God into the desert. Wait a minute. Who was led into the desert by God? The Israelites. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. How long were they there for? 40 years? Jesus was there for 40 days? Coincidence? Oh, well, let me read on. The second part of verse 2. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. It's like, oh, wait, wait. They weren't eating. This is exactly like the story in Exodus. Oh my gosh, what is, what is Jesus doing here? You see, what Jesus and Luke telling this story, what they're trying to do is he's trying to tell people that Jesus is reenacting the story from the book of Exodus. It's like, have you read the book of Exodus? They're like, yeah, well, then this should sound really familiar to you. Like, the people reading this are like, my dashboards are all lighting up. What's going on here? Yes, Jesus is reenacting the story of the Exodus, but he wants to give it a spin to it. He wants to change the ending of the story. So look, the next part, okay, by the way, the devil shows up in this story. We'll talk about him a little later, okay? The devil said to Jesus, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. They're like, wait a minute, this sounds so familiar. Appetite versus the permanent goal. Like, oh, this is exactly what, oh my goodness, this is just like the hunger challenge. Oh man, okay, okay, okay. I can't lose, you know, so, so the devil is trying to tempt Jesus into making the same mistakes that the Israelites did. How does Jesus respond? Take a look. Jesus answered, it is written. Where is it written? He quotes from where? The book of Deuteronomy. This is Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. Man shall not live on bread alone. Jesus is like, I read the answer book, guys. I know, the devil, I know the answer to this question. Let me just tell you what it is. Let me quote Deuteronomy chapter 8. Man does not live on bread alone. Bam. Drops the mic. And he walks away. Boom. And they have to go and pick up the mic because there's a part two. There's a second challenge to this. Next challenge. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me and I could give it to you, uh, to anyone I want 
too. If you worship me, it'll be all yours. What temptation is this? What challenge is this? This is the here's the prize challenge, right? He's saying, are you willing to compromise your loyalty to your heavenly father for the sake of getting to the prize? Are your eyes so fixed on the prize that you're willing to compromise the most important relationship of your life? Whoa, because the devil knows that Jesus came to this earth to reclaim all the kingdoms of the world. How does Jesus respond? Jesus answered, it is written, written where? Deuteronomy, he quotes from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 13. He says, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Worship means there's only one person, one entity that is worthy. And it's not the kingdoms of this world that I'm going to worship. It's going to be God that I worship. Why? Because the most important thing is not the destination. It's the one that walks me to the destination. He's like, I know the answer. I read Deuteronomy. I have the answer key right here in my brain, in my heart. I know the answer. The answer is we need to make sure that we don't compromise our relationship with God for the sake of getting to the goal. Ah, the devil was like, oh, okay, okay, well, I have one more challenge. And he's so predictable, right? Because we all know this Exodus story, right? Chapter 4. Verse 9, the devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here. Which, if somebody took me to a high place and said, now jump off, I'm like, that's not a temptation. I'm like, I'm, I don't have an urge to jump off the tallest part of the building, right? And the devil adds something to it. He says, I know you don't want to jump off the building, but I want you to prove me something here. Because there's a passage in the Bible, in the book of Psalms, chapter 91, it says this. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. He says, Jesus, I don't know if you've read the Bible recently, but there's a, book in the, there's a chapter in the book of Psalms that says that if you jump off, the angel, God will send his angels to pick you up so that you won't hit the ground. There. So now jump off the building and prove to me that God actually cares about you. Now, Jesus has a really interesting response to this. So let's take a look at that. Jesus answered, it is said, again, where? Deuteronomy, he quotes from 6.16. Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Now, this is interesting. What he's basically saying is, I don't need to have my father prove to me that he's still here with me. Why? Because just in chapter 3, I heard a voice from the heavens saying, this is my son who I'm well pleased in, right? So I don't need proof. I don't have to jump off this building to know that God is still with me. And also, Jesus would say, uh, implied in this text, right? He's saying, by the way, chapter 91, if you guys did your Bible study, if you know, if you know, excuse me. Okay. Okay. <laughs> God? No. Okay. Okay. Well, what he's saying here is, if you read... If you read the book of Psalms, you'll know that the devil took that verse out of context. The context of that verse is basically saying, God will help you, right? Make sure that you're safe when you fall in life, not when you jump. So Jesus is like, you fell into two accounts here, devil. Don't use scripture against me because I know it pretty well. So, so he says, you don't have a chance in making me derail from my mission in life like you did the Israelites. So in verse 13, our passage concludes like this. When the devil had finished all this tempting, all meaning every trick he had in his bag at the time, he used it up on Jesus. He lift him until an opportune time. And that opportune time happens at the end of the book of Luke, which we'll come to in like a year or two. Okay. 
So there's, a two, there's two observations I want to make in this, in this passage that we just read today. And I'm hoping that the, 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 the background history of the story of Exodus helps you understand this passage a little bit more because what there's, what, what's, what's happening here, there's two things I want you to pick, make note of. Number one, okay, the first thing is about the devil. The second thing is about Jesus. The first thing is this. The devil is not interested in making you want bad things. I know there's this popular understanding in the world that's like, if you do something bad, like, oh, the devil made me do it, right? The devil is not in the business of saying, like, I'm going to make you like to use drugs. Like, the devil doesn't work like that. The devil doesn't want to create an, a, a circumstance where you're like, all of a sudden I have this urge to drink poison. Like, that's, that's not what the devil's interested in. Or, or if you're trying to use less curse words this year, the, and if you just bleaked out a word, right? God, God's not like, the devil is not like, I'm going to try to sneak in that bad word into that person's mouth. That's, <laughs> that's my greatest point. You know, that's not the devil's obsession. Okay, the devil's obsession isn't trying to get you to do bad things. That's not his ultimate goal here. The ultimate goal of the devil is actually this. He's obsessed with making you compromise how you attain good things. Have you noticed the things that was, temp- that was tempting Jesus? They're all good things. They're not bad things in themselves. Right? Bread. I'm pretty sure bread is not evil. Okay, Jesus then said... Jesus didn't say, I don't want that bread because bread is evil. He didn't say that. Bread is good. He likes bread. By the way, he's called the bread of life, and he was born in Bethlehem, which in Hebrew means the house of bread. He was born in a bakery. Can you believe it? The, the bread of life was born in a bakery. But anyways, okay. That's, bait means house. Lechem means bread. Oh, anyways, okay. That's, my mind's going all over the place. Okay. So bread in itself is not bad. Jesus came here to reclaim the kingdoms of the world. So the kingdom is not bad. The, the devil offered him all these kingdoms, right? And said, it could be all yours if you bow down to me. And he's like, well, the, the kingdoms of this world in itself is not bad. Right? Or, or let's even go back to the beginning of the Bible. In Genesis chapter 3, where Adam and Eve, they were tempted with the fruit. The fruit in itself was not bad. It wasn't, it wasn't that the fruit... You know, like, if you look at, the, look at the text very carefully, what you'll discover is that the reason why Adam and Eve bit the fruit was not because the devil was like, look at this fruit, doesn't it look delicious? No, 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 he, he was tempting them with the right thing, which is, would you like to gain knowledge? Knowledge in itself is not bad, but the way in which they attained that knowledge was bad. You see, the bread, bread is not bad, but the way that he has to compromise in order to get to that bread, that's bad. The kingdoms of the world is not bad, Money is not bad. Money is not evil, right? But, but the way in which we try to attain money, that could be evil. You see, these little, the, the how of how you get these good things, that's where the devil works. That's where evil enters into the picture. It's the way that we get to our destination. That is what, what, what the devil's interested in thwarting. Because if he could just change that, and he could just move you one degree off to the side, right, and you keep going in that direction, you'll end up wanting bad things. In a way, maybe you need to have bad things in order to cover for the other bad things in your life. So I want you to understand, first and foremost, that the way that the devil works is not by making you want bad things. He wants you to have good things by getting them in the wrong way. And that's exactly how Jesus was tempted. Because everything that Jesus wanted in this story, okay, were good things. That's why he was tempted with them. If the devil showed up and said, hey, you want some drugs? Jesus would be like, I'm not even tempted to do, you know. But he's like, do you want goodness in this world? You could do it if you just bow down to me. So how is the devil working in your life? Because sometimes we only focus on the prize at the end of the story. 
and you'll do everything it takes to get there. I've heard people say, you know why I work so late and you know why I don't spend time with my family? It's because I love my family, right? It's like, well, okay, providing for family is not a bad thing. Working is not a bad thing. But the compromises you have to make along the way in order to make that happen, that's bad. And at the end of the story, you realize that it doesn't really lead you to the goal that you wanted in the first place. That's how he works. It's very subtle, and that's why it's so dangerous. So that's the first observation. The second observation is about Jesus. Okay? That Jesus, in this story, what Luke is trying to tell us in this story is this. That where we have failed, where the Israelites failed, where you failed, where we all failed, Jesus succeeds. Now, so imagine this, okay? So there's a tightrope right here. And, and every day, we're, we all take turns trying to cross this tightrope. And then, the, you know, we get halfway, we look down, we get scared, we start losing balance, and we fall off. And we're like, oh, the next person does it. And it doesn't get as far, oh, you know, over and over. And then Jesus stands up to the plate. And he looks down, he looks around, he sees all the people who failed, and he tightropes. And he goes, and every once in a while he gets shaky, he kind of stops, but he still goes through, and he makes it to the other side, and he goes, ta-da, I'm the only one in all of history that's made it through this tightrope, right? He's like, where everybody else has failed, I have succeeded. Now, what's interesting about this, okay, is that the people who have failed will look at Jesus and say, well, that's good for you, Jesus, great, you know, standing ovation, now what? Or, or maybe Jesus is on the other side saying, like, <laughs> I made it and you didn't. And they're like, oh, stop rubbing it in, right? But what Luke is trying to teach us here, okay, because where the Israelites failed the three challenges, Jesus succeeded, right? What, what Luke is trying to tell us here is not that Jesus was the only one that made it to the other side of the tightrope. What he's really trying to say is this. When Jesus succeeds, we succeed with him. So imagine that analogy like this. If Jesus were to take all humanity on his back and then cross the tightrope, and made it to the other side. His success is our success. Jesus is interested in carrying us to victory. And that's the whole point of, of Luke retelling this story in a way that resembles the, the Exodus story. So, so, so going back to that question, have you failed God? The answer, yes, we've all failed God because God has crazy high expectations for us. God wants us to do some amazing things in this world and you feel like you failed him every single time. You're not even, you don't even feel like you're the right person to do it because you have all these things that are holding you back, you know, whatever that might be, okay? But he's saying, yes, I know you failed me, but we have Jesus who succeeded on your behalf. So don't worry about your, your failures. The Israelites, they kept on failing every step of the way. It took them 40 years to the point where they're like, okay, maybe you're ready to do your thing now. And they fail at it anyways. Right? So at this point in the story, Jesus is looking at this whole story and saying, what if I got to carry you over to this point so now you're free to go and serve the world? That's what this story is about. It's a story about Jesus carrying all of us to victory so that we can go and do the things that the Israelites should have been doing in the first place. But you know, do you realize that these three temptations the th and the three challenges that the Israelites went through, they have a common thread. And you know what that common thread is? Jesus' response, okay, because I've heard people say this. Like, I've heard people use um, Luke, chapter, uh, this, Luke chapter 4 in this way, it's like, if you face temptation, what you need to do is what Jesus said, which is quote scripture. And I'm like, I don't know if that really works all the time, you know, because I don't know if you've ever heard anybody preach that, right? They're like, if you ever face temptation, then what you need to do is you need to quote scripture like Jesus did. And okay, sure, sometimes that might work. Sometimes it won't work, right? But, but that's not the point that Jesus was trying to make here. Jesus' point here wasn't quote scripture at the devil whenever he tempts you. The point that Jesus is making here is each of these answers of, from, that, that I quoted from Deuteronomy has one thing in common. And that one thing in common is this. You've got to keep your eyes on the true prize. 
whenever you feel like your appetite is pulling you away from the, true, the, the, the goal, he says, fix your eyes on the true price, which is God, right? Or when you feel like, like, um, like oh, the, the, the prize is easy to reach because it's right there. Like, what should I do? Like, but it means that I have to compromise on my relationship with God. What should I do? He says, fix your eyes on the true prize, which is God. In every instance, you feel like compromising. Every instance, you feel like the devil is trying to get a foothold in how you achieve the good things in your life. He says, fix your eyes on God because he's the one that's going to set your, straight, your path straight. And if you're having a hard time doing that, then what Luke tells us here is, then don't worry about it because Jesus is going to carry you to the, to the finish line. Jesus is going to carry you. And there's these interesting verses in the Old Testament and the New Testament about how God carries us like on eagle's wings. Or, or there's verses where he says, it is not our doing, but it's his doing that we accomplish these good things. These people in the Bible who, who wrote these things, they understand that it's not by our might that we're actually able to accomplish these things. But it's actually because of what Jesus did on the cross and what Jesus did in, while he was on this earth. It's because of what he did that we're able to accomplish these things. And so this story is supposed to be an encouragement for all of us. If we stick with Jesus... We're able to finish that cross to, to cross that finish line because God has accomplished the things that are impossible for all of us. Amen. All right.